Hey there, Mavs fans. This is Rolando Blackman. You're listening to Numbers on the Boards with Bobby Corrala and Jeff Skin Wade. What is up? It is Numbers on the Boards. I'm Bobby. I'm Skin. He is Skin. What's up? What is up, man? Is the so, music still playing at this point? Uh, the music is still playing. You don't uh, hear it right now? Okay. Okay. Oh, yeah. Damn. Yep. All right, cool. I'm in. So, oh, turn it down now? Yep, yep. yep. Okay, we, turn, we should okay. talk. All right, turn it down. Okay. Uh, a rare instance these last couple weeks. Uh, so today is Wednesday, but today is actually Tuesday. Mm-hmm. But we've been the last few weeks because of the travel schedule and because of game schedule and my life and your life, we've been recording on Monday a lot. Right. So we've been, like, projecting into the future but uh, today, because it's Tuesday, there's not another game until after this podcast comes out. So we're actually going to be totally up to date. And it's great. You know, what we've been doing is we try to do these things that those who talk in microphones or on television say, pieces that are evergreen. They could pretty much air at any time. Like if you're trying to, oh, well, I don't know if the people are going to hear this for three or four days. But we're at a point right now, ain't nothing going to happen until people download and listen to this on Wednesday. And then we'll head into the jazz game. So we are up to date. Yeah, these are only the freshest takes today. Right. It's like if you walk by the, the bagel store or whatever, the coffee, the coffee shop with the donuts. Right. Uh, like I went to Tim Hortons for the first time. When I, I don't know in, what that is. It was I was in Toronto. It's a... I guess it's kind of Dunkin' Donuts, sort of. Why not just go to Dunkin' Canada? Donuts? Well, it's Canada, so I think like the you know the oh, exchange rate. I and take all that, that stuff. back. I I do know what that is now. That's like that's the most pervasive one, right? Yeah, it's it's like the it yeah is the Dunkin'. yeah yeah yeah. I do yeah. know what that is. And I also did not know that Tim Horton apparently was an athlete. He played hockey. Almost positive he played. Man, hockey. you sound really confident in making that up because he's Canadian. Yeah. Well. Oh, yeah. Well, that's obvious. He's from Canada. He was I'm also sure really he poli- played hockey. Yeah, he was a polite guy too. Apparently. He was what? He was a really polite guy. Oh. Oh. Okay. I think he might actually still be alive. I really don't know. I should have done a little bit of research on this. Nah, you should. But, no um, one cares. Yeah. What's funny is uh, at the at the Raptors place. Every what do they call it these days? Is it the Rogers Center now? Because I it don't used, know. It used to be the Air Canada Center, but they yeah. changed it. So I think it's the Rogers. Shout Center. out to Ben Rogers. Yeah, they named it after yes, him. Yes, they it's did. It's crazy. They're huge fans of the Ben and Skin show. Yeah, there. they are. They are. So shout Good out, day, mate. Shout out to the the six. Yeah. Right? Yep. Take off, eh? Yeah. The, all of your woes up there, Skin. Yep. Uh, they just have photos of Maple Leafs greats or players for the Maple Leafs. Okay. I, maybe they are their greats. Maybe they're not. But lining the hallway in their media room, and, and I just then went. There's a picture of Vince Carter and Chris Bosh at the end of all. No, of it. there's none. Oh, okay. <laughs> there's no evidence of Raptors. Screw anything. those guys. Yeah, it's crazy. But uh, I just went up and down that hallway and took pictures of every picture. So it was a picture of a picture. Uh, and sent them to my dad, and he was able to identify literally every single hockey player oh. from, like, throughout 70 years of history. Because y'all are Michiganians. Yep. What do they call Michigan people? Uh, I believe Michiganders. Michiganders. That's why. Right. I, I don't know if that's, like, the official one, if that's canon, but uh-huh. that is, uh, that's what we call them. I feel like I've learned a crap load about the North in the first few minutes of this podcast. Dude, we aren't the North, but we are learning about them. Right. You know? Maybe we should do a travel podcast. We should. Yeah. We should go to Canada. You can meet your fans, and we can talk some basketball. I love that idea. Yeah. Uh, Okay. In the meantime, though, let's talk about other basketball. Okay. Uh, More recent basketball. The Mavs played the Bulls on Monday night and won 103-98 to is your final score. That is now two opponents in a row that the Mavs have held below 100 points, which in today's NBA skin is about – as 
common as seeing a unicorn. It's a healthy Porzingis. Did um? Do you have the box in front of you there? Uh, I you, can. You don't have to. I'm but pulling it, it up right now. So uh, they held him to about forty percent shooting, right? Uh, thirty nine point three. Okay, yep. Serves. And I believe, if I'm if memory serves me correctly, we held Oklahoma City to thirty nine percent shooting yeah, from they the field. Were below. Yep. Um, and the game before that, uh, what was that? Ooh, that was Utah. Utah. Utah shot infinity percent. But then yeah. before that, it then was Washington, Washington. about forty two or something like that. So, uh, so the Mavs are doing, and and obviously Chicago's down a few guys, right? Uh, but Washington was a potent offense that they kept in check. Even though Oklahoma City didn't have Russ, they had still been. I think they dropped what they dropped like a hundred and something on Houston. Then they'd won like seven games in a row. Yeah, I wasn't even. I wasn't even aware of that. And then I, I was looking last night, and Schroeder had a, a great game last night. I think he had twenty and nine. So, you know, as we look at ways in which the Mavericks need to get to where we were all hoping they were going to be, I think defense is the key, and specifically defense with the starting unit. It's just got to be better, and I think it's slowly getting better. And, uh, you know, there's no West last night, who is easily one of the team's best defenders. And Dorian fills in uh, admirably. And don't forget the impact of one Devin Harris. Yeah. You forget about him, and then he shows up, and then suddenly things start clicking. I go back to my favorite uh, quote that uh, I'm sure I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I was talking to Melvin Hunt when he was an assistant coach here, and it was one of those times where Devin had missed games. And we're going to do a little piece on him at the beginning of the broadcast. And it's like, all right, what, what does Devin bring to the team? He goes, Devin brings corporate knowledge. He's like, there's not one aspect of your company, or in this case, your team, that he doesn't know in and out every piece of it. So when he's back, it opens up so many possibilities to you just because you can't execute things if the people on the floor don't know what they're doing. So suddenly this guy is there. And think about who he's out there with, mostly JJ, who has a ton of corporate knowledge. And then suddenly we're backdooring everybody and we're playing better defense and we're scrambling and doing all these things that the Mavericks have and are supposed to do. Yeah, so you watched the game. You did not watch the game live. You I went back yeah, and watched I had, it uh, I had some fiddle. Oh, I had uh, uh, fifth grade boys basketball practice. Oh, nice. Yeah, so I started the game at like 930 last night and okay. just power watched it. So basically you started it right as the final buzzer was right. sounding. So we have not talked about the game at all. No. Until just now. Right. Um, and – you talk about the Devin coming in and their backdoor and everyone going on runs. I believe the bench was almost completely responsible for what became, I think, a 20-3 to run. Yeah. Uh, bridging the first and second quarters, it's J.J. and Devin just styling out there all over the place with Dwight Powell. And uh, I have a bunch of J.J. numbers that I want to get to later okay. on. But basically the preview is, like, the bench is good again. So here's – yeah, and it's and Devin's been back for two games. J.J. had 21-5. and five. So I interviewed him for the broadcast on Saturday night. And uh, I was messing with him, and he shot me a little look, like, you little SOB. But I was like, <laughs> hey, man, great game tonight, 21-5. and five. And, of course, all the credit goes to Devin. Now that he's back, you can actually hoop again. And, <laughs> you know, I like messing with J.J. because he's one of the best Mavericks ever. Mm. Um, but, anyways, it does matter. It, it frees people up. You're able to do things. You get into a flow. You get into a rhythm with that familiarity. And what did we talk about that has not manifested itself going into this year was that by adding Luca and DeAndre, the starting unit was supposed to not get in big holes, and then the second unit comes out and straight punishes people, and then you go into halftime and you've got a six- or seven-point lead instead of a three- or four-point deficit. Yep. Now, the starting lineup's got to get better, but I think in a little bit later in the podcast we'll end up talking about Carmelo, but I want to throw a, a Carmelo-Maverick bench thing out there. So we'll get to that a little bit later, but 
to come full circle, you're right. What we saw last night with that bench is what we expected to see. And the development of Dwight and Maxie as your bigs and whether that fifth guy is going to be Dorian when Wesley's back or Rick has even tweaked the rotations now to where Wes is coming out there with that second unit and um, or maybe Ryan's out there or whatever it is. Those four core do Jalen obviously has an impact there, but the four core of JJ, Devin, Maxie, and Dwight is stout. Yeah. I mean, those guys are say what you want about Devin and JJ. They're both, uh, they combined add up to almost 70 years old, but those guys are good enough to start on many teams, especially Maxie yeah. and Dwight, too, in my opinion. But I mean, JJ, if you're, if you're, t- if you're making a list of, the best backup point guards in the NBA, you're probably starting with Schroeder. Mm-hmm. And then after that, it's probably J.J. So when we were going into uh, – when and, and, and to your point, though, it depends on the circumstance. Like, Schroeder is younger and more athletic and all these things. But when the first game of the night, that was uh, – of the season, was Golden State, Oklahoma City, if I recall. And Schroeder played well until the final three minutes of the game, and then he was a train wreck. And so, to your point, Schroeder is at this point, because of his size and age and athleticism, a quote-unquote better player or someone you'd rather have. But if there's two minutes to go in the game, give me J.J. over Dennis Schroeder 10 times out of 10, and I'm willing to bet that if you ask 30 GMs, they would all say the exact same thing. Yeah, I think the true measure, and this is not something that you can actually really measure, but the true measure of a point guard is – how often at the end of the possession are you happy with the shot that you got? Quality and, shots. And with JJ, it's generally like 20 out of 22, yeah. maybe. I mean, it's like really, really high. And he's only playing, you know, last night he played 24 minutes, which I think is a season high. That's or, pushing it. Yeah, and that's a lot for him. Right. So he's usually only out there for like six minutes at a time, you know, come in for six or seven, leave, come back in the third quarter and play for, you know, maybe eight or nine, and that's it. Right. You know? And during that time, the Mavericks are always doing pretty well. I, I don't want to speak for, you know, Rick and Casey and those people, but what it se- seems like is, you know, people pick up a box score and go, wow, he played a lot of minutes last night. I think the way they view that is they view that the stretches of minutes, right? They view, okay, oh, my God, he was in there for seven. That's probably pushing it too long. It's, it's more about the way that those minutes incrementally work out. Mm. And so, obviously, if you play longer stretches, you're going to end up with 24 or whatever, but – you know, they, if J.J. ends up averaging about 21 minutes a, a game, I think that's going to be a perfect way to use him at his age and his effectiveness. Yeah. Well, and last night was an example of where you couldn't keep him off the floor because he was so – he was playing really well and also the team was playing well with him. And right. I guess the flip side of it, which is, might make people nervous or sad or whatever, is that, you know, J.J. was a much better answer last night than Dennis was. Yeah. But that's not always true. There was a game against Utah – one of the seven times they played Utah this season, the first time, where Dennis that was probably his best game as a pro. Yes, and he oh, was at the twelve for nineteen game, the uh, Sunday night game. points. Yeah, Career that was the high, game yeah. too, where before the game, Rick sat down with Dennis and showed him positive footage of him doing things that they want him to do. Yeah, and then Dennis went out there and executed. Yeah, that was you know we've talked about pace twenty one. Is that what mm-hmm. it's called? Uh, we've talked about that, and if you'll notice, I'm willing to bet that that was their highest number of pace 21 this year because I felt like when I watched that. You're talking about the first Utah game? The first Utah yeah. game. Uh, when I watched that, Dennis was busting his butt to get that ball across the half-court line. It was. The burst was there. 
Mm. And not surprisingly, he had a great game because yep. of it. Yep. Um, but yeah, last night, you know, I, the offense with the starters is just kind of clunky. And you, I, I thought that maybe with Dorian in there, you just get a little more spacing because he's not moving off the ball as much as Wes is. So mm-hmm. it's just more focused on, I guess, your high pick and roll with Luca or Dennis. But there just wasn't. Okay. There was, they were missing some grease. You know? Yeah, they were missing some grease, and I want to point out what you said because early, I, I bet this is. Remember, the game started really slow for the team, and I can't remember if it was the fourth or fifth possession. Luca's going baseline, and he's in a he's in a tight spot. And you know, we always talk about going baseline. You have the the guy in the corner drifts to the baseline. However, the defensive player was playing the baseline. Dorian's man. That was where Wes would have cut towards the basket, and it would have been a bounce pass layup for Dorian, but Dorian just kind of kept going to that corner. That's where it takes more experience to read because if you read the right cut, 99 times out of 100, Doncic is going to make the right pass. Instead, there was no movement. He was in a jam, and it was a turnover he ended on the up turn, He ended up throwing it right to Dorian's right to man, the, right? Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, looks just, it looks really sad. But, yeah, that's a case where you cut. Yeah, I mean, Wes is really good at whenever his defender is not paying attention to him, he's moving. Right. So he's either going to the basket or taking a step to the side just to get himself open. You read when your defender turns his head to you, that's when you read it, and that's when you cut. Uh, Tricks was fantastic at it. Yep. Clay Thompson is really good oh at it God, too, and that, that's how he gets his. Yeah, and, and you're like, how can you not be paying attention to Clay Thompson? But then you look at who else is yeah, on. There's the all team. these other guys that can light you up for forty. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, yeah, Dorian had been playing well before, and uh, last night. I mean, I don't want to say that he had a bad game. He was really good on defense. Uh, Tough and covers. He ended up scoring what eight points, one of five from three. So not the best offensive, but he eight is his average, I believe. Uh, is it really? I think so. That's but it, you know, huh? he doesn't. You know, that last night, for example, he probably got more minutes than he normally gets. I, yep. I'm just guessing yeah and he was he was working hard on living yeah and he held living to eight of 23 and a lot of that was dorian and a lot of the eight were not a lot of the eight was on other people i mean he levine or uh, dorian really shut living down but and levine got a lot of his stuff too kind of in secondary yeah like getting to the rim and Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely um but yeah, so there was just a little juice missing from the starting lineup last night they're still working on it i guess i mean i don't really know what else to say uh luca 11 points, quiet. He hit that big shot. That was a big shot uh, at the very end of the game. Kind of the, the three where yeah, he drifted it was back. A, it was like a 32-footer. and he bomb. just Yeah, and he he was to that point, I believe, two for 11, and he steps into a 30-footer and drains he, it. He's like, uh, you know, I've, I don't know if I brought it up on the podcast. I brought it up on the Ben and Skin show, and I've brought it up on the, uh, the uh, broadcast of the game. Uh, and I just stole this from Michael Young, uh, who's one of my all-time favorite DFW athletes, all-time hit leader for the Rangers. He talks about slow heartbeat guy. And uh, it's like it's almost like God-given DNA or something. Doncic is absolutely slow heartbeat guy. We saw it in the Laker game when he was had a terrible first three quarters, turned it on in the fourth, hit what should have been the overtime shot, the nice little floater, totally under control. That shot you're talking about is another example of it. Uh, you can go find any number of you know Euroleague highlights where. <laughs> right. So he's just he's that. Jason Kidd was that. Jason Kidd would go out there and go one for eighteen and then drain a three with five seconds to go. That's just who he was, man. Slow heartbeat guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah, just a big shot, man. And I think that last night. I mean, I don't want to like project my own thoughts on people but it looked kind of like he might have been 
favoring the knee a little bit. Is that fair to say? Because I mean, uh, he, he, he banged it pretty good against OKC on yeah, Saturday. Yeah, he did. And uh, I didn't see the official injury report. I didn't see if he was listed as doubtful or he anything. He was listed as questionable. Questionable. Um, so, yeah, that could that could definitely be bothering But it him. could also have been one of the things where, you know, maybe he misses his first few shots and he's like, oh, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. my, my knee. You know, I think he kind of he kind of hams up, up a little bit. Sure, you know, he's man. got a little bit of weight in get him. Some, get some drama going. Yeah. What do you think in uh, in like five years, do you think that opposing players like playing against him? <laughs> or do you think that they – well, we're gonna tomorrow night. Not, or, not that he'll be like a villain, but you yeah, know what yeah, I mean? yeah. I, 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 well, okay. I don't think he plays like him, but there was a ton of Ginobili comparisons. Do you think people liked playing against Ginobili? I don't think so. Do you like? Do you think? I think, quite honestly, he's a little more like Harden with the start and stop. Yeah, people definitely don't like playing against Harden. Right. So no. The answer to your question is no. I think they will respect him. I think like uh, I, I really enjoy watching him after the games, how he interacts with everybody. He He's the last guy on the floor shaking everybody's hands, connecting with people. And I think that the Mavericks, which is a huge umbrella, right? The Mavericks think this. Whenever you hear a media person, like, wait, what are you talking about? Which specific person? Speak up. Yeah. But I do think, quote-unquote, the Mavericks believe that Doncic's personality will and his style of play will ultimately be a huge benefit in the free agent game. Yep. He's the type of player that you'd want to play with. Absolutely. Because he's, you're going to get your stats when you're playing with him. Which is why it was laughable two weeks ago when people are staring at their TV talking about guys freezing out Luka. I'll tell you something. Guys don't freeze out guys that feed them the ball. You know, even like the, uh, the classic Magic Johnson rookie story, you know who froze out Magic? Norm Nixon, because that was Norm's position, even though they were playing them together. And eventually Norm Nixon was traded for Byron Scott. So I think that one worked out well for I LA. I think it did. But my whole point is that guys that are receiving passes don't freeze out guys that are giving them the ball. And then I know Donnie believes this. When you share the ball, then everybody else starts sharing the ball. Uh, I'm sure Rick believes that because he played on the 86 Celtics. You know, when you have a passer like a bird or a passer like a magic, or I'll say it, a passer like Doncic, then suddenly with the Lakers, James Worthy's making passes, or with the Celtics, Kevin McHale's making passes. It's just the ball has magic dust on it, and it starts flowing, and it's a beautiful thing to watch. Yep, and the Mavs are fifth in passes made this season. And Doncic leads the team in front court touches. He does not lead the team in total touches because he's not always bringing the ball up the floor. That's Dennis and JJ. Right. Um, One guy who also does share the ball. Oh, it'll be interesting to see Luka go up against the Jazz, by the way, too, uh, because he and Joe Ingles had that little, uh, I don't even know what you'd call it, little skirmish. The, a little uh, dust up. Yeah, Ingles. Ingles just wanted to introduce Luca. He was like, "Go, go meet those people in the front row. Here, go, I'm, go." I thought that was in the spirit of the great Dirk quote: "Utah's a terrible city." Yeah, I thought yeah, it was just was, an uh, extension of that. That was just a uh, Dirk's not, been tossed out of that building before. Has he? Really? Yeah, really. I mean, I you know go to the locker room, but I'm just saying. In fact, you know what? Maybe I this is said. So this is where and I always need follow up because he remembers everything, mm. dude. We were on the air, and I was in uh, on Saturday, and um, Ray Ray Felton is out there against JJ, 
And I was like, hey, this is a unique situation where two guys that were born on the exact same day are covering each other in the NBA. And Falwell immediately spit out the date. Do you know the date? <laughs> uh, June 26, 84. I think that's right. Is it right? I can't remember if it's June 26th or the 23rd. Let I can't me look remember. It up. Let me look it up. Let me You're look close. It up. See, that's good. I, I, I that, yeah, that's pathetic. Don't say it's good. No, no, no. I, June 26, 1984. Dude. Well done, nerd. <laughs> and you know who else was? You know who else was born on that day? Uh, Darren Williams. Darren Williams. Yeah. All three were born on the exact same day, and they were all teammates. Two of them. Yeah, they were all teammates. Two of them were lottery picks, and one was undrafted. And guess which one will be in the NBA the longest? The longest will be the undrafted guy. <laughs> Absolutely. How awesome is that? Did uh, was Felton? Felton came out before JJ did, right? Because Felton turned pro. They won the championship or something, and then Felton turned pro the same year as like. I Rashad thought it was McCann, the same Sean draft, was May. it not? Oh, you're know. probably right. You're probably right. Uh, D. Will and Felton were in the same draft, yeah, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, because it went, it went. D. Will went first, then Chris Paul, then Raymond Felton yeah. was the point guard order. Yeah. And uh, was, so J.J. Was, was in the next draft and didn't get drafted. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. J.J. wouldn't have come out early. No. No, that no. makes sense. Yeah. That was uh, Marvin Williams went ahead of those guys. Who was the number one pick that year? Uh, the number one pick was Andrew Bogut, I believe. Was it? Oh, okay. I think it went Bogut, Marvin Williams. That wasn't the Sheldon Williams draft, was it? The dude uh, from Duke that maybe. married Candace Parker or something? Maybe. That, that's, that's, that, you just recited a Mad Lib. He was basically – he was like – a 1984 power forward. Yeah. You know, like no range, just a big giant Two dude. points and 11 rebounds. Smart guy because he went to Duke. But, yeah, the Hawks drafted him. Yeah. I think. I don't know. I could be mixing drafts up. Yeah, that was a, that was an interesting Carolina team. Uh, fun year of college basketball, though. One oh, of yeah. The, they one had, of the first uh, years I paid, uh, paid attention. Yeah. They had. Uh, Marvin Williams, Raymond yeah. Felton, Rashad McCants, Sean May. They had, Sean May uh, is who I couldn't think of. And Marvin Williams came off the bench for them. Yeah. And but, you know uh, who else was on that team was a guy that uh, I work with. He was a defensive specialist. It was Jesse Holly who played for the Dallas Cowboys. Jesse Holly played basketball at UNC. Won a championship with those guys. Really? Jesse Holly was at one point ranked nationally as a basketball prospect. Wow. But he was a better football prospect, and he went to Carolina on a football scholarship so he could play both. Was he? I guess he would have had to play point guard then, right? Or point guard, shooting I, guard. I think I don't. He's not re- the tallest guy. Ever. No, no, no. He's not. I think he was just a defensive mauler. I think mm. he was like he didn't. I don't think he played every game. I think he was specialist. Gotcha. Kind of like the way Dante Jones was used in the NBA. That's yeah. the way Jesse was used in college. Okay. Jesse's hey, a great dude. By there's the way. always a there's always a room for that kind of player on your team. You know Absolutely. What I mean? um, okay. So here's a little JJ love. And then I'm going to have some trivia for you. Now, they did show a graphic on the broadcast last night, so I'm hoping that during that time you weren't paying attention. But Mark Followell was presenting the graphic, so it's tough to not pay attention to him when he speaks because he's the best. Um, so your top seven – or your top eight, actually. Your top eight lineups on the team. So five-man units on the team by raw plus minus. That's just how many more points have you scored than the other guys whenever you're on the floor. JJ is, of those top eight, how many lineups do you think JJ is a part of? Of the, of positive plus minus. Yeah, of, of the, the top of the, eight of the Mavs eight best lineups by plus minus. Yeah, I'm gonna guess because of early season injuries and the way that those lineups have been tweaked, I'm gonna guess he's a member of, and it's an extraordinarily high number, but I'm gonna say six of the eight. It is. He's a member of seven of the eight. So, wow. Yeah, it's incredible. And in fact, the only one that he's not in, Dennis, it's Dennis with the bench players. Interesting. Yeah. So something about those other guys. Maybe JJ's not good at all. Maybe well, it's just no, the it's, other it, bench players. You know are, are what that it is, great. though. But this is like, this is where you get. This is why I hate. For example, I hate uh, per thirty six stats, like especially with bigs. 
You go, man, look at his per 36 numbers. You're going, yeah, he would average seven fouls. He would never be able to do that. <laughs> um, but uh, my whole point is that one of the benefits of that lineup is generally who they're going against. I mean, obviously, you don't want to take anything away from their efficiency or what they do well. But in a vacuum, you put those players out there, and if you start them against Golden State, it's not going to be the best results. But that group doing what they do going up against other similar groups, they're the class of the league. And so that's when you look at those five-man units and go, well, I mean, because I thought last year wasn't our five-man backup unit with Dirk number one in the league. It was and, number one and overall D- like and, of and, and rating, right? Yep. Yeah. Net rating. So, um, you know, that, that's, a, that's a huge accomplishment. But that's not them going up against KD and Steph and Clay and Draymond and whoever they want to roll out at center or whatever, right? So uh, I think that stuff factors. But it's a matter of taking what you do well and and stacking it to your advantage. And that's where, uh, you know, Rick and I think Casey's involved in this as well and obviously the whole, the whole staff coming up with the best rotations to – uh, totally take advantage of that benefit and how it's going to work and how it's going to play out. The formula, get better to start the game, and our second unit will build our lead. Yeah. And we just haven't gotten there yet. You have to be better to start the game. Yes. I mean, that is – because their bench is going to outscore. So, of those eight of those eight lineups, the worst one is plus five across 12 games. So, like, your eighth best lineup – is almost neutral, mm-hmm. which is not that great. I mean, most team starting lineups, most good team starting lineups are significantly positive because they're getting out to 12 to 4 leads mm-hmm. and then just playing from ahead the rest of the game. The Mavericks are consistently finding themselves in those holes, and it's usually JJ and the bench guys that pull them out. So, I mean, we're in double digit holes in the first six minutes of games every I, night. I mean, it's I mean, brutal. last night it was 17 10 against Chicago, and that's. A team That's without three of their four best players. Yeah, and at that point, when it's 17-10, to 10 and it was not a fast start, it's not like Chicago just made their first seven shots. Right. I mean, it was 17-10 to 10 with like four minutes to go in the quarter. The first four minutes would not be submitted to the Smithsonian. No, absolutely not. Well, yeah. and I thought, because Chicago got off to a 7-2 start, and the Mavs actually took the lead, 8-7. Mm-hmm, they did. So I was thinking, okay, this is going to be fine. And then it just was – it was not fine. Skin. Right. It was not fine. Um but, yeah, I mean, J.J.'s a wizard. Uh, so, uh, well, anyway, I was talking about those plus-minus things because I was going to arrive at this point, which is earlier in the year the bench was not good. They were, like, struggling, I mean, mightily struggling. I forget in one of those games, it might have even been that first Utah game where Dennis was great, the bench was arguably the reason that they lost. I mean, because mm-hmm. they, were, they were seemingly trading off nights where the starters were good and the bench wasn't. Right. Starters had nothing and the bench couldn't miss. Right. You know, and uh, they were going back and forth. But now the bench is kind of steadied. Uh, well, d- coincidentally aligns with the return of Devin, Devin Harris. Harris. Devin Harris went out the first game of the season. Yeah. And they were – Devin played, I think, like 30 seconds, and they were already plus two yeah. with him on the floor. I mean, that's that's how that's how much uh, his absence hurt them. But in the last six games, Bray has been positive and plus minus five of those times. Uh, and he's averaging 12 points and six assists in those six games. So that's that's pretty good. Yes. That is pretty good. Uh, okay. The, the trivia here. Oh, I like trivia. So, uh, you probably, like I said, you probably saw this graphic, but last night J.J. Barea made a little bit of history franchise-wise by moving past Sean Bradley into seventh place on the all-time games played list in mm-hmm. Mavs history. Mm-hmm. Now, my question is, yep. so you know that J.J.'s seventh, and you know that Sean Bradley's eighth. 
how many of the other top ten can you name? In order is even better, but if it's not in order, that's fine too. Okay. Uh, I think, obviously, Dirk Nowitzki is number one. Yep. I think, I really think number two might be Derek Harper. He's third. He's third. Okay, then... Two through four are separated by 18 games, so it's like... Okay, so I would assume that uh, Rowe is in there, and I would assume that Michael Finley's in there. No, Michael Finley's fifth. Your number okay. two all-time player is Hold Brad... On. Oh, Brad Davis. Ah, no, 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 no. Uh, you know what's great about that, what just happened, is Brad Davis is the most criminally underrated player in Maverick history, and me not knowing that off the top of my head is an example of that, because I watched... All those games that Brad played in. Me and my dad had season tickets. I was at 90% of the home games. Back then, TV was different. You didn't get to see as many road games. But I watched a hell of a lot of Brad Davis. I could tell you everything about the way he played, his style, all of it. And people forget how much he meant to this team. Yeah, they look at his per-game numbers. And, I mean, I'm not speaking from experience here because I have not seen you much aside from yet. highlights. Yeah, I mean, I've seen you know a couple old Mavs games and stuff. But right. uh, for... The younger listeners, and by younger, I mean people my age, who mm -hmm. I'm almost 30, but uh, could you describe what, I mean, because you look at his numbers, you say, okay, 12 points, 5 assists, he's like JJ, but like what actually, what what kind of player was he? I would say, imagine if Matthew Delavadova was an incredible offensive player, all right? So Brad was known for, and I don't have the stats to back this up, but Brad was known for taking charges, and Brad took violent charges. So Brad had the white man afro. Like, really <laughs> permy, giant hair. Yeah. And I'm telling you, some of these charges, it looked like he had whiplash. He would put his body in front of anybody to take the charge, okay? The other thing is offensively, um, trying to think of who kind of does some of this stuff now. The game has changed so much. But they basically, Dick Mata did all the same stuff that Jerry Sloan did in Utah. So I'm not going to say Brad Davis was John Stockton because John Stockton's one of the 50 greatest players of all time. But John Stockton would get them into similar sets. And I'm not talking about the pick and roll stuff they did with Malone. I'm talking about all the backdoor cuts. We see it with Devin and Bray, right? So, so Brad Davis was an expert passer, especially off the dribble at guys doing cuts along the baseline, finding guys back door. He would find Rolando Blackman all of the time. There was a lot of off-the-ball action with down screens. Yeah, Roe came off a lot of screens, right? Roe came of off thing. a ton of screens. Uh, I think maybe probably our younger listeners would at least remember what Rip Hamilton did in Detroit. Mm. Very, That's what Roe was like. Okay. Um, and uh, Brad would pinpoint passes. He didn't turn the ball over. Back then, they didn't shoot a whole lot of threes, but when he shot it, he generally made it. His release was interesting because it, he took the ball, and it was almost like he pulled it back behind his head, you know, where it almost looked like a heave. Mm. Um, you know, people, like, uh, look at a guy like that and try to categorize him as, well, he wasn't that great of an athlete. Brad was a great athlete. Brad actually played at the University of Maryland with John Lucas, who was a legendary guard, and Brad Davis was a first-round pick of the Los Angeles Lakers. He was a great college player. Great athlete. He bottomed out in L.A., had to go to the CBA. I uh, think it might have been Keith Grant. I can't remember who was watching him play in Anchorage. But he was signed the first season probably like 10 or 15 games into the season. And back then they used to have, I can't remember if it was Corrigan's, but they used to have this uh, jeweler had the uh, fa fan's favorite Maverick, and he was like the favorite Maverick for three or four years running. Really? Uh, but just, you know, uh, that – that Della Vadova grittiness 
always in the right place, taking charges, fighting like a son of a bee. Mm -hmm. And then also like uh, temperament wise, unfazed by everything emotionless that was very stockton like harple tells stories about how his first year or two in the league think about brad davis you're the starting point guard Derek harper is drafted with the 11th pick in the draft he's a badass coming out of college that kid's going to take your job so what do you do you teach him about the nba so he can be great yeah so that when he does take your job and you back him up the team's in better shape i mean i can't say enough great things about brad davis and he would never tell you any of this stuff because it's not how he's wired. Yeah. But Derek Harper's opinion on Brad Davis is the ultimate high teammate, and that's a guy whose job he took. So I just can't say enough great things about what Brad Davis meant to this team in the first decade of, of Maverick basketball. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Because I feel like, I mean, it, you know, you play in the 80s, and um, most of it was the early to mid-80s whenever there was really no – no game footage exists, right. you know, outside of a couple playoff games here or there. And it's some ugly footage to look at with the old low-def te- television yeah, standard it's bad. definition. I mean, you can't it. really see what's going on, and yeah. they're not really playing basketball as we know it. So it's just – it's like going to a, a different world, you yeah. know, watching those old games. Brad but, was uh, really good, dude. Yeah. Yeah, that's I, – I know my dad always really liked him too, but my dad also – my dad likes – weird players for weird reasons. Your dad liked Bill Winnington. Yeah. Who was the towel waver on that team. Yeah. Y'all's oh, families Bill are Winnington's tight with the Winningtons. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And Bill Winnington, if you don't know, actually was there for the game last night because he does radio for the Chicago Bulls. Yep. He's yeah. their color guy. Yeah, so every time He's Bill's in town. He's Brad Davis. He is. Hey, oh my we come God. Full circle, full guys. Full circle. Wow. We did it. Um, okay, so uh, yeah, your top five is Dirk, Brad Davis, Derek Harper, Rolando Blackman, Michael Finley. Okay, now I got to figure out who there's is between. Four, well, there's three remaining because you got JJ and Bradley already. Right. Um, okay. Oh, God, is there's Gu- a, I, I will tell you this. List? There's a pretty significant drop off from Rowe to the rest of the pack. Yeah, I think Aguirre might be on that top ten. He is in the top ten. He is number nine. Okay. Um, Five sixty six. Okay. Uh, I think. 566. So I'm trying to do the and math here. JJ has 583, and he's in seventh place. Right. Uh, Finley, who's in fifth place, is 626. Okay, so... It's about seven and a half seasons. Nash didn't play enough games, did he? No. Um, okay, I'm trying to think in that middle deck. Oh, God, man. is it... It's not Popeye Jones, is no, it? No, it's not. That's a really good guess, but Okay, okay. You're uh, going to be very mad whenever... Is it Sleepy Sam? No. Um, Sam Perkins? I mean, he was here for about six years. They called years. him Sleepy Sam? Oh, yeah. I did, I did not know that. Yeah, because he always he was so chill. Like, he looked really chill out there. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of confusing because at the same time, there was a guard named Sleep, Eric Sleepy Floyd. Yeah. Yeah. Who was um, right. That was his nickname, but, you know. Yeah. Sam looked like he was just woke up from a nap, but he was deadly. You know what's right. interesting, dude? Totally different styles of play, but if you watch them physically, Sam Perkins was built exactly like uh, Ingram in L.A., almost the same tall and size, skinny, huh? tall and skinny. If you watch their arms, now Ingram moves a little more aggressively than Sam did, but they, I bet if we looked up basketball reference, their sizes, now Sam got bigger as he got older. Yeah, because that's what I remember him as whenever he was playing. At, where was he playing at like, the uh, end well, of Pacers. He went, he went from here to the Lakers, played for the Pacers and the Sonics, I believe, are the four yeah, teams. Yeah, that's, that's where I remember him whenever he yeah. was in India. By that time, he's old sleepy Sam in the corner, and he's all filled out like a grown-ass man. Yeah. But if you pull up the iconic Sports Illustrated cover from North Carolina, Sam's senior year, where Sam's a senior and Michael Jordan is a junior, and they're holding up the number one finger on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Look at Whoa, his body. Oh, his arms are so long. Yeah. 
He's built almost exactly like. Oh Brandon my god, Ingram. dude! He actually he's uh, a little more muscular than Brandon Ingram was. That's amazing. Oh, you found the picture. Yeah. Yeah, but see, look at the the legs and because the dude. shorts. Dude. Yeah. Wow. Isn't that crazy? I mean, he's like town, and I know uh, Michael's kind of like bent over at the hip, so he's not really like standing up straight but he's like towering over mike it makes me so happy that i mentioned I, an iconic picture from 1983 or 84 and you pulled it up immediately yeah but you know what sucks is that you could mention an iconic game and i would not be able to find it and that's that's, and that's the sad where part. how we come full circle about how you can't go watch all the great stuff brad davis did yeah okay so um your number six player uh played about eight seasons worth of Mavs basketball. Okay. Oh, wait. Oh, uh, God, I can't believe I'm forgetting. Oh, is it? God, is it Eric Dampier? No. Um, That's another good guy. He was here for, I think, seven years, so he's he's got to be... I think number 10 must have just passed him recently. Jay Vincent was gone. Jay Vincent didn't play enough. No. Um, God, it's, I'm, I'm, it's going to drive me crazy, isn't it? It's driving me crazy that you don't. I'm like personally offended that you don't know this answer. It's going to be so obvious. And I'm going to be. Is it Devin? No, no, no Devin no, is no, tenth no. at five forty three. Okay, so Devin will actually probably pass uh, Mark Aguirre. He needs twenty four more games, and then okay. he could pass Bradley if he plays forty more. So I'm missing one guy right now. Missing one guy. One iconic Mav. Very famous Mav. Very famous Mav. Very famous Mav. Can you give me a decade where he played most of his games? Uh, two thousands. 2000s. Galileo, Galileo. I got it's it. not Freddie Mercury. I'm totally blanking, dude. Jason Terry. God, what a moron. <laughs> By the way, I feel like a dumbass. By the way, uh, Jed is doing studio work for NBA TV. And is he's he doing really? a great job. I saw him last night. That's awesome. Yeah, he was, uh, no, or Monday night. Because yeah, he, he does not have a team, right? But no, he's, he's not out. retired. So it was cool because, uh, you know, on NBA TV, they do uh, game night or game live or whatever. They got game time. And then they'll have the player interview a player. So he was interviewing Chris Middleton, his teammate. Oh, nice. Okay. Right. And uh, going, I already voted for you for the All-Star game, Chris. And it was <laughs> Milwaukee's a great story. Oh, he gets a vote, huh? I, so, Jet, I can't believe I forgot that. That's like, I should have my Mav credentials revoked. But, you know, it's weird because whenever you think of Jet's career here, you probably start with the championship season and you don't. Maybe you don't remember. Like he was here in two thousand four. Oh, he played I mean, he in was there for two a finals. Long time. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he was there for a really uh, long okay, time. Okay, so um, with Jet, uh, where did you say he was sixth? Jason Terry. Let me pull it back up. He is sixth place. Yeah. He's, he finished seven games behind Mike. So JJ, if JJ plays every game for the rest of the season, then he will end up passing Finley with like twenty five games to spare. So right. JJ's forty three games away from fifth place all time. Right. By the end of the year, JJ will be top five all time in games played. I've I've said this. I was like, you know, when we're all said and done because of his significance, and I remember so vividly when he was trying to make the team as an undrafted rookie. My cousin Randy, getting a shout out here on the podcast, called me and said who is this J.J. Berea guy? I said, ah, you know, he's training camp fodder. I, I, I don't even know if he's going to make the team. I doubt he'll make the team. And here we are a thousand years later, and we're doing a podcast. And I started saying this about a year ago. When J.J. retires, he will go down as one of the ten greatest Mavericks of all time. Yep. Because if, if you look at the whole, to steal a phrase from Harp, if you look at the whole body of work, it is sprawling and massive and very, very important to the history of this franchise. He was a starter on a championship team. He sure was. And, I mean, he wasn't for the first 95 games of the season. 
but he was whenever it mattered. Hey, we're going to drop you into the starting lineup. No pressure. No problem. Got we're also, it. We're down 2-1 to one in the finals. Yeah. So uh, here you go. Spectacular. Here you go. Run our offense, please. Spectacular. Yeah, JJ's a legend, man. I love the dude. There are people that don't like him, but you know what? Whatever. I, I, there's a lot of people that don't understand basketball. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. You can't make them be something that they're not. Yeah, it is okay. Uh, okay, quick numbers, and then we could talk about some other things because there were uh, there were some stories in the NBA. There mm-hmm. have been some. Yep. There are always some, but there have been some of note. So we'll get to those in a minute. Um, but first, I want to talk a little bit about pace. So we talk about a lot, a lot about pace 21, but I want to talk about like pace. So this is possessions played per 48 minutes. Right. The Mavericks right now rank 14th in the league, so they play pretty fast. For them, that's like screaming. Because last year they were been, in the bottom five, weren't yeah, they? Yeah, they've been bottom five two years in a row. The year before that, they were bottom ten. So, I mean, they've been slow for a minute uh, or three years, whichever one is better for you. Uh, this year, though, they're actually top half in pace. Okay, which is good. Yeah, we're, we're going someplace. Yeah, now there is no real uh, 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 correlation between playing faster and winning. But for this team, their stated goal was we need to play faster, and right. we're actually seeing that bear itself out, which is good. Um, now, the reason that that is important is because last night's game against Chicago was the first of a seven-game stretch where six of their opponents play a slower pace than the Mavs, Ooh. which has never been the case Like for them for the last right. three years. They are, they are usually the slower team. They're going to be the ones trying to push the tempo. Exactly. Here. So the one team they play that's faster is Golden State, and you're <laughs> that whatever. <laughs> Just forget about it. But for those other six games, that includes games against like the Grizzlies winning record, Boston winning record, uh, Houston winning record. Mm-hmm. Well, Houston – I don't know if they – do they have a winning record They don't have yet? a winning record. They right. will soon probably. The Lakers uh, are the the eighth game, and the Lakers play actually faster than the Mavs. Did but the Tyson similar. Chandler block the other night, put the Lakers above 500? Or are they I believe so. I yeah. think they're 6-5 six six. Six or 7-6. Six, six, yeah, something like that. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so they're – I think they're going to be okay. I love I loved um, those pictures of LeBron hugging Tyson. Dude, it's it, so weird. It, it, but I love it because, you know, LeBron came around as to what the Mavericks did to him and how it mattered. So it's like, of course he's going to embrace with the guy who took the candy from him. Yeah. I love it. Tyson kind of represents LeBron's, I don't know, comeuppets. Uh, yeah, his but Achilles come heel. Yeah, his growth. Fixed. Yeah. yeah. Like LeBron said uh, that he called losing to the Mavs, which is kind of ironic, but he called losing to the Mavs his greatest achievement because it mm-hmm. kind of helped it, it helped remind him that he was human. Right. You know? Um so, uh, okay, so six of the next seven opponents, including uh, Chicago on Monday night, played a slower pace than the Mavs. Uh, the last few years, they've been the team that's had to slow it down and, like, impose their will in a retroactive way on their opponents. Mm-hmm. Like, we need to turn this into a grind-out, uh, grit-and-grind, sort of, let's r- hand the ball off every first down. Um, but now, they can't do that. I think last night, Chicago kind of dragged them into that. It mm-hmm. was sort of a grind-out, slow, knockdown. A lot of, like, seven seconds left on the shot clock, crap, what are we doing kind of possessions. Right. Uh, especially with the starters out there. Do you know what tends to do that? What's that? Is when you they're down four guys, four important guys, so then and they're a lottery-styled team, so then you have a bunch of guys trying to earn their way into the NBA, and you have guys that are willing to go hard on every possession and make things difficult on you. Yeah, and Archie Diacono, their point guard, was picking up Dennis full court like yeah. almost every time. Exactly, and that has an impact. Think about the way the Nets have played the last two or three years. You look and go, they don't have enough talent on that team, and they're fighting you, and it's a one-point game with five seconds to go because all those guys, the way Miami played, 
right? Yep. Did you ever read that article Zach Lowe had about the jungle, mm-hmm. calling the G League the jungle? Yeah. Uh, so it's that kind of mentality. Those teams generally put you in tough positions because they play you hard. Yeah, they just play hard. Right. And so the Mavs have to be the team that is going to say, all you slow people, Memphis, we know that you want to take your time, and that's cool, but we're not going to take our time. Push, push, push. We're going to push, the, we're going to push it right back at you. I mean, the Kings this year – are the number one transition team in the league, and more than 20% of their offensive possessions are transition. They just, like, race down the floor. And, and they got the perfect point guard for it because De'Aaron Fox is shot out of a cannon, baby. Yeah, but Dennis could be that guy, too. He could. And Luka kind of – he he tries to be that guy. His top gear, obviously, isn't Fox's, but Luka will push the ball. Yeah. Dennis will push the ball, but they need to do it every time. And, and with Luka, too, the whole idea is hopefully you have Luka pushing the ball with someone – that's not accustomed to stopping the ball, trying to stop him because of cross matches and things yeah. like that. Yeah, and that's where going off misses and turnovers right. is so important. Uh, and the why is pace important? Okay, so the Mavs' effective field goal percentage, and that counts threes as one-and-a-half shots. So whenever there's 22 to 18 seconds left on the shot clock, the Mavs' effective field goal percentage is 62%, which is like you are going to score 7,000 points. Mm-hmm. Okay, When there's between 18 and 15, it drops to 51%, which is like league average. And when it's 15 to 7 seconds left in the shot clock, it drops to 50, which is you're probably 29th in the league and you're going to win right. 25 games. I mean, that is a, that's a pretty steep drop-off. And now that it's a downward curve for every team. That's not, it doesn't make them unique. It's probably not that way for the Spurs. The Spurs probably yeah. thrive with 7 to 5 seconds on it because they've worked the ball. It's not a guy pounding it. They've worked the ball all over the damn floor. Yeah, and the Mavs, I mean, it seems like they – so the bench with J.J. actually, the, the bench plays very slow because J.J.'s able to run seven pick and rolls and mm-hmm. still get a good shot. Right. But it seems like the starters, and some of that is just inexperience and youth, you know, Doncic and, and uh, Dennis out there – they run one, and they're like, oh, what do I do? They pick up their dribble 30 feet from the basket, and all of a sudden there's 12 seconds left. Right. You know, so you just got to play You got to play fast because 62 to 51 is a huge drop-off oh, for, yeah. like, you're talking between six seconds left and se- – or six seconds and seven seconds in the possession. You're losing 11 points of efficiency, and that's, like, that's crazy. Um, so, yeah, play fast. Over the next seven games, that will take us through, I believe, through the Boston game. Um, the Lakers, like I said, play faster, but it's like marginally faster at this point. It's obviously subject to change, but that's Utah, Memphis, Brooklyn, Boston, Houston. Those are the teams where the Mavs actually have to kind of be the one to impose their will in a in a positive, forward, aggressive way. Mm-hmm. Not say, like, we are going to just drain the clock. And, right. You know, this is going to be 85 to 84. Um as it's been the last couple of years. Okay, so that's pace. Watch out for that the next few games. Skin. Yes. Uh, there was a trade that happened. I th- when did when did Jimmy Butler get traded? Was that on Saturday? That was after the Sacramento loss, so I believe that was. It might have been on Sunday. It was one of those two. It was, days. It was, it was this weekend, but yeah. the, the trade became official on Monday. Um, and Butler, I assume, I, I don't know if Philly plays tonight. I don't think they do. So Butler will be making his, uh, yeah, Butler will be making Wednesday. his debut on November 14th. So yep. Wednesday, whenever yep. you're listening to this podcast, Butler will make his debut at the Magic, who are surprisingly uh, near 500, Orlando is, which is surprising to me. Maybe it's not to anyone else. But uh, Minnesota gets back Dario Saric and Robert Covington. Mm-hmm. No draft picks. Or I think like a conditional it's second a conditional rounder second or, something. or something like that. Yeah. I mean, okay. You know. So here's the problem with all that. Number one, I think it was a 
good trade for Minnesota, but when you're trading a top 20 player, you want it to be a great trade. At the time, when you're making a deal, when your team is below 500 and you just got hammered by the Kings and everybody hates each other, you have no leverage. The Timberwolves were pushing to try to get more leverage. They wanted more leverage to try, hey, this is Jimmy Butler here. But the problem is that Jimmy Butler is on the last year of a deal, and the reason he's upset, seemingly, is because he wants more money than the two kids are getting. No, it's because he just wants to win. No, it's not. It's He just cares so much about winning. That's right. what he says. Which is why one of his destinations was like the Nets. Right. Yeah. Okay. And the Knicks. So, yeah. uh, Known for their, their illustrious history of winning. Right. I've heard enough about that situation from enough people to know that that is all about money. And one thing I was told is when the Jimmy Butler thing started, first happened, was when Andrew Wiggins got his full max. That's when that thing first happened. Okay? So with Jimmy Butler, it was going to be a team that, number one, was going to be willing to give him a max deal at the end of this contract this summer. And if you look at the comments made by Elton Brand, it very much appears that they are willing to do that because he said, we now have three of the top 20 players in the NBA, which that's very arguable. Nicely done by Elton Brand, by the way. Yes. That's, that's former Mav Elton Brand. Former Mav Elton Brand. Uh, we always talk about once a guy comes through here and you get to know him, man, I love Elton Brand. Yep. What an awesome dude. Um, man, there's something about these Duke and Carolina guys. They just got their acts together. Something. Something so, about them. Uh, so, but the, the Timberwolves had lost all their leverage, and teams dealing with them know they lost all their leverage. Interestingly enough, Philadelphia is not off to the start that they wanted to be off to. And now they're looking at, all right, Toronto's got Kawhi, and boy, they seem to be a monster. And man, Boston hadn't even figured it out yet. I think top to bottom, the East is tougher than people thought it was going to be. And then I think also, you know, Philly looks at Milwaukee and goes, all right, Milwaukee just hired one of the five best coaches in the NBA. They have Giannis, who might be one of the three best players in the NBA, and Middleton's a great running mate for him. I'm looking down at our team and looking at our team, and I don't even know that we're definitively better than Milwaukee. I don't know that we're definitively better than Toronto. I think on paper we're definitely not definitively better than Boston. What's happening here? Let's make a power move. So it really kind of worked out well for Minnesota that Philly's situation emerged that it did because otherwise – they were losing all their leverage, and they simply couldn't continue on with Jimmy Butler as a part of that team. They had already made the decision that their future was going to be Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins, so you better start getting to your future. The other aspect of this is we talk about quality of players. So if you look at what Jimmy Butler does, he's, you know, when he's healthy and at his peak, he's a top-five two-way guy that's not a center, right? Yeah. Um, so if you – with your lineup the way it is, you need to get a defender. You need to get a guy that can cover multiple positions, and you need to get a guy that can spread the floor, right? I think you can make an argument that Robert Covington is one of the five or six best 3 and D types in the NBA. If Finney Smith becomes Covington, that's a huge win. Oh, my God. I would throw a semi-parade just, like, down two blocks. It's a Dorian parade. I'd I'll be, be so there. happy. I'll just be raging drunk, just like, Right, yeah! let's go. Just me and you. Secondly... Uh, a type of dynamic scoring post that can score on the block, that can shoot threes, that floors it when centers get around him. Carl Anthony Towns is in a lot of ways a lot like Joel Embiid functionally. You can differ on their size. Offensively at least. Right. Yeah. So wouldn't you say that we've already witnessed how well Dario Saric plays offensively off of a big like that? So they just 
address two specific needs. Dario Saric will be a really good player, and Dario Saric is a former lottery pick. He's not a scrub, and he's, you know, off to a slower start than last year, but he's basically, you know, 12 and 6. And Covington is basically 12 and 6. So you combine those things, and conceivably you just added 24 and 12 to your starting lineup. So, and then you push a guy to the bench. So they, when you have a stud, if you're going to play the way that Minnesota is going to play, you don't need a third stud. What they really need is they need Wiggins to be what he was supposed to be. And I don't know that he was going to be what he's supposed to be playing with Jimmy Butler. Uh, and Carl Anthony Towns is a can see. I mean, we're two years removed from GM saying they want to start their teams with him. So if you look at the big picture, it's easy to go, well, Saric and Covington aren't as good as Jimmy Butler. I get that. But when you're looking at the position they're in and the function that those guys will play and the fact that the biggest thing Minnesota needs right now is positive chemistry, I think they made out all right, all things considered. Yeah, and Sarge's percentage this year are not very good, but I wonder how much of that was just kind of the um, underlying belief that he'd probably be traded pretty soon. Mm -hmm. Because as soon as Philly started 3-4 and four or whatever it was, you knew that they were going to do something. Because right. they're, they're not just going to keep riding with that team the rest you know of the what year, else is you know? kind of interesting and i was thinking about this as i was watching that minnesota sacramento game belitza yeah okay he never he was a former mvp overseas he never materialized in minnesota for whatever reason he's thriving in sacramento he is a part of their resurgence uh in fact he's the reason bagley's coming off the bench right so sarich is a different player but sort of a facsimile of what you hope the function of that guy is. So it's kind of interesting where Sarge goes into that role that Belitza could never make happen consistently. Yeah, and and we'll, see, we'll see if he can do it. But, yeah, I think, like, ideally you're adding Covington and Sarge to a team that already has Jimmy Butler and Carl Towns. Instead, you're adding it to a team that has Towns and, and Wiggins. Wiggins. And, you know, Have Wiggins you given was up drafted. on Wiggins? Well, I don't know. I mean, I don't think it's – I mean, who cares? I don't. I don't know if it's fair to give up on a player who's only he's what twenty four or I something. He's twenty four, twenty five. But I mean, two years ago, so during Barnes's first season in Dallas, the question that I was asking people was, "Would you rather have Barnes or Wiggins?" Mm -hmm. And the answer was Barnes then, mm -hmm. and it is still Barnes now. Mm -hmm. And so at that point, it's like, all right, is he ever gonna get there? Let's you know? go all the way back to what we were talking about ten minutes ago with the Nets and the Bulls last night. You know, there's not that much difference in a lot of these guys athletically. Wiggins is on the upper spectrum of that. If Wiggins played as hard as the fifth guy on the Bulls trying to show what he is in the NBA, Wiggins would be a top ten player in the league. So, And Butler said as much. Mm. He's got more God-given ability, but, you know, temperament matters, personality matters, attitude matters. And I'm not saying he's bad in any of those regards, but you can watch him play and go, that's, he's not maxing out what he can do. Mm. But there's still plenty of time. Yeah, there's um, still plenty of time. But uh, this year, I mean, to his credit, he's shooting 41% on threes, but that's about, that's about all he's doing, man. I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's still early in his career, and hopefully he can turn it around. But, yeah, Minnesota's betting really big on those two guys. Right. And for Philly – it gives them Butler and Simmons, who are two of your best defensive wings in the NBA. Both of them are – Butler's, what, 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, Simmons is 6'9", six, 6'10", six, mm -hmm. both long arms, both really aggressive in-your-face kind of guys. So if they're going to be playing with Redick a lot, that's good because you could hide Redick and put the sick of those two bulldogs on people. And Embiid is like a beast on the inside. I mean, right. he's, he's one of the best rim protectors in the league. So Philly becomes pretty fierce. 
Uh, I will say, if you're looking around at young duos, uh, probably the only young duo that's more online than Towns and Wiggins is Embiid and Simmons. Uh-huh. So uh, we'll see if Butler has the same problem with those guys as he does with, as he did, uh, reportedly did with the guys in Minnesota. Um, but yeah, if I, I don't know if you read these reports that have come out. Obviously, this this whole drama has been very well documented by Shams and Woj. Um, and the report came out with the final teams that they were talking to. Like, for example, the Pelicans were talking to the Wolves about Butler, but they didn't offer Drew Holiday. So it's like, well, what are you going to – I mean, right. whenever you're not – there's no real competition. So, I mean, Sarge and Covington was the best offer that they got at yeah. the time that they like, made the Like, what are you going to get, Miritich and Alfred Payton? It was, that's basically what it was. It was not built interested. Around yeah, I no, would I'm much rather have Covington – and Saric, because I think I can make the playoffs with them. I mean, I've added two starters. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I think that the Richardson uh, – who was it? It was Josh Richardson and was it Adebayo? I don't know. I think I think there was talk that that's what Minnesota wanted, but that Miami wasn't willing to offer both of those guys. I think that it was – I thought that it was – they were they were offering both. I'm almost positive it was Richardson and, and Bam. Okay. And uh, that reportedly – I mean, Richardson's one of their three best players. In Miami. Yeah. Richardson is really freaking good, dude. He's so good. Yeah. And, uh, and then Tibbs wanted a draft pick, or he wanted them to take Jang as well. And, think, and that's and whenever Riley reportedly said UMF. Yeah, and I got I to gotta go look, but doesn't Miami still have to convey a pick to Phoenix? Dude, Miami's picks are gone. Yeah, they're screwed. Their picks are gone. All They cannot trade another first-round pick until, like, 2025. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. it's not even legal to trade picks that far into the future. Right. All their second-round picks are gone. They are paying – they're, like, at the cap or above for the next, like, four years. They give Justice Winslow three years, $40 million. And, dude, it's a miracle that they overturned, you know, some of these projects into players, like a Richardson, for example. I mean, they, they've done a really good job of developing guys that slip through the cracks. They have, but their cap is – Oh, they're screwed. They're they're screwed. Yeah, I mean, man, they're they're struggling. That's why they were desperate for Jimmy Butler. They needed a star. Yeah, and you know what? If you would have added Butler to that team, even though Richardson is really good, Butler's better. And if you add Butler to that team, then they're probably in the playoffs. Oh, they're they're competing for the fifth or fourth area. Yeah, I mean, but you talk about. I mean, I'm, I'm a big Dragic fan. Hell, he made an All Star team last year, didn't he? What did. he like an alternate or something? You could argue it? that that Richardson should have made it over him, but Dragic did make the team. Yeah, so Dragic and Butler and whatever you do end up getting from uh white side and then you know winslow's a good you know compliment to those guys um well you know he's he's still he young. has not lived up to what he was yeah. supposed to be but he's big and athletic and yeah, can he, run the he floor. defends but yeah 25 percent on threes but yeah i mean they got olenic james johnson they got a lot of vets and uh tyler johnson too who yes. killed the mavs last year randomly uh so yeah miami will miami will win a lot of games in january whenever yeah. you don't care right and they do you know that's that's kind of their brand they're tough-minded yeah um elsewhere uh karis levert from the nets the nets are coming to town here pretty soon uh suffered a horrific leg injury so sad dude kinda, he was off to such a great start yeah kind of shades of gordon hayward what happened to him so obviously best wishes to karis levert but uh yeah he was off to a monster start for brooklyn um and then uh, other story of note. Mm-hmm. What, oh yeah, some guy named Carmelo uh, played. Uh, I heard he played with Houston for a little while this year. Uh-huh. Apparently, it didn't work out. Uh, I don't know if anything has actually officially happened yet, but all the word from everybody, I guess, from the GM on down to the fifteenth man, is that Melo's probably done with the Rockets. That is all per the great Tim McMahon. 
Let me uh, throw a couple things at you. I want to. I'm okay. not going to identify this person. You wouldn't know him. He's just a friend. Okay. But he texted me yesterday and said, "Would the Mavs be interested in Carmelo?" And I said, "Why would they do that?" He said, "Scoring off their bench." And I said, "I love our second unit." And he said, "Is he better than Maxi scoring?" I think so. And I said, "You need to see how he's ruined Houston's defense. They can't even have him on the floor anymore. Not only do him and Maxi." not do the same things. Maxie is one of our four best defensive players, so I want to get your opinion on that in a second. I'm not interested personally unless, say, Harrison got hurt, which even then I probably wouldn't be that interested. And then he said, I agree with you. However, let's be real. The Mavs don't play much defense. I'm a Mavs homer like you, but we don't play defense very well. Adding Carmelo wouldn't help that, but we wouldn't have held. uh, But anyways, he would help our scoring. And I said, our defensive problems have been worse with the starters than the bench. So I'm just giving you some insight into the way people still think about Carmelo. And I look at him, and I have no idea how I would want him to fit into our team. And I think the answer to the question is I would not. He has obliterated Houston's defense, so much so that their defensive guru just up and quit. (laughs) And i that's not a joke. I mean, it's a joke, but – it was related. When they plugged Gary Clark in while he was hurt. Gary Clark, who you he's might a, have heard of. He's, he's a on blues a, guitarist from Austin, yeah, right? Yeah, he's on a two-way contract, and suddenly their defense is fixed again. So uh, one thing I, I had heard through the NBA grapevine was that you simply can't – like Bizdelic was like, I have to change everything we do defensively with him. Like I can't even run my, my schemes with him. We have to change everything. And so he was frustrated with that and probably wanted to be goosed a little bit and was like, you know what, I'm good. Guys don't retire two weeks before the season starts. That's what Bizdelic did. That's now he, crazy. Now he's coming back. Yeah, he and is. And he's coming yeah. back while there's talk that Melo's gone. Yeah. It's not a coincidence. Yeah. I mean, those things are connected. Look what happened in OKC last year. You know, the Thunder. By the way, have you seen how good? Of course you have. The Thunder have been excellent defensively. Yeah. yeah. And you know what? Their their record, they're, I think they're only 7-5, and five, but they'd be way better if Westbrook hadn't missed virtually – Right. Almost the whole year. I yes. mean, he's played maybe half the year. Yeah. Maybe. And I think they've, they have not lost when he's played. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm good on Melo. Nothing but respect for what he was able to accomplish. 25,000 career points and he's all that a, stuff. He's but, been an incredible player. But I, what I really think more than anything is I think the NBA has passed his game by. Yeah. And without being willing to adapt, uh, it puts him in a precarious position. Because I think it's hard – See, this is what makes Dirk special. Well, there's a million things that make Dirk special. But those guys, the Mellows and the Kobe's, part of what's made them great is they have these outrageous egos. Outrageous. And they view themselves in a way that is hard to placate as you get older. All these guys have healthy egos. Competitive people have healthy egos. Dirk has an ego. Dirk has a huge ego compared to... You, Bobby Corella. Yeah. But I mean, I, I, no one loves me more than me, but I will concede that. We all me. have egos. Yeah. But compared to the class that Dirk exists in, in terms of the top of the NBA, one of the things that differentiates him is he's willing to sacrifice ego for other stuff. Tim Duncan was that way. And the reason Kobe Bryant could absolutely be somebody's Jamal Crawford but his ego won't allow it, all right? I'm not playing unless I'm dropping 25 on your ass. I'll be damned what it does to my team. 
And so Carmelo's unwillingness to adapt to how the NBA has changed via for, for his size and his game and all those things, his unwillingness to concede. I mean, we're not even 13 or 14 months removed from him laughing at people suggesting he comes off the bench in Oklahoma City. At that point, he said almost verbatim, I've already sacrificed enough by coming here. Right. I'm not sacrificing no bench role. And please don't. I'm not knocking Carmelo. I'm identifying hum, human traits and how the ultimately like you have what is the guy's abilities? What can he do? What's his age? What all this stuff? But a huge component of all that is a person's personality and the way that they interact with others. All of this stuff matters. I don't think there's a more incredible thing in sports than an NFL snap going off with 11 guys all doing their job perfectly without a penalty. That's mind blowing to me because yeah. uh, it's just the nature of people and especially the nature of people that have always achieved at a high level and the way they view themselves as they change. So why would anyone with the way Melo views himself and where his abilities fit into the current NBA, why would anybody want that unless he's willing to make drastic changes in the way he views himself as a player? I don't see the benefit of that. And I don't think we've seen anything really since he went to New York and couldn't occupy the same space as Amari Stoudemire. I don't know what it is you're going to do with that in a winning capacity. Well, especially because the last two off seasons he was signed by teams that are winning teams. I mean, he was signed by OKC, who had just gone, whatever, they, they won 50 games. Westbrook won MVP. They signed Carmelo. It doesn't work. He leaves, and then he's signed by a team that arguably should have been in the finals last year. Didn't they have the best record in the NBA last they year? They did, and they could have been your champion had they, you know, Chris Paul not getting hurt, basically. Right. Or had they made a single three-pointer right. in Game 7. Good God. So, and, and I'm not, dude, I want I mean, everybody to know. Well, yeah, now, I mean, we're not taking a dump on him, but I'm. If, whenever you're saying who's going to try and make that work, two really good teams with pretty good cultures and pretty good coaches and, you know, very uh, – unselfish stars right tried to make it work and couldn't and couldn't. and and i was a guy that last year at the beginning of the year said oh Melo's going to be a great fit in oklahoma city i was the guy out there pumping up this whole uh, olympic mellow narrative i was one of those guys i believed that because for the same reason chris paul did work in houston he was at a point in his career where he was ready to make sacrifices and i thought after the new york experience carmelo was ready to be a part of a good team again and he did play well in the olympics playing off all these other alphas and i thought he was there i was wrong yeah um so i just don't see where the benefit is for these teams to go yeah let's dump this into our mix yeah i mean if, if he was still at the point where he could score 25 and shoot 46 percent from the field i mean he's never been a really good three-point shooter but if you can score pretty well in the mid-range and you can surround yourself with shooting and athletes, then you're going to be fine. He is, he is but one he's, of, he's not there anymore. He is one of the greatest players of his era. And as I look at the Dallas Mavericks, I would nine times out of ten rather have Dorian on the floor than Carmelo for what the Mavericks need. Yeah, that's just the age that we're – That's where we that's are. Where we re- it's like if – you know, they were still trying to build around Dirk as their best player. I mean, Dirk for the last three years has been in the starting lineup, but he has really been the anchor of the second unit. Mm -hmm. Like, he's out and he's in the starting lineup almost by name. Right. And then he checks out after five minutes. Which is what they're kind of doing with Wesley right now. Yeah, I mean, they're they're phasing. It's it's not like he sucks. They're just kind of 
easing his, they're lightening his load. They're phasing him out. They're, you know, the, that's what I'm talking tough. about with ego. <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Dirk is a, he wants to win. So he's willing to make a realistic assessment of where he is in his career and how he functions in the team. He volunteered to come off the bench in 2015 yes. when they just won 50 games. Yes. He volunteered to do it and right. still started for three years, not right. by his choice. You know. So I'm not, again, I'm not dumping on Carmelo. This is Carmelo, you know. I, I said the same things about Kobe when Kobe came back from Achilles. Uh, that team sucked. <laughs> Kobe was happy yeah. with his numbers, but that team sucked. Yeah. They had no chance. And you had guys standing around watching an old guy prove it to, hey, I'm going to prove it to all you guys. Watch this old guy get down. Yeah, I mean, they drafted D'Angelo Russell second overall and still gave Kobe like 25 shots a game. So it's like, I mean, but, you know, that's, that's that balance. That's, those guys have that thing that made them brilliant in the first place. So I guess you can't have it both ways. Yeah, tough to let it go. And, I mean, part of it is admirable, like, you do you, man. Yeah. Stick to stick to your brand. You right. Know? But at the same time, it's you go tank someone else's team. We yeah, we've reached the the point in history, and I mean everybody reaches the point in their lives where it's like adapt or die. Right. You know, and I, and look at the guys, the Ginobili's, the Duncans, the Dirks, that were willing to do that and sacrifice. And I think to a degree, Kevin Garnett, right? Yeah. Give him credit for that sort of thing. Uh, and those are guys that are able to be happy with their contributions at thirty nine and forty. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. I, I I have way more admiration for that than the guy that wants to stick it to the world at 36 and show you what a badass he is. Yeah. Just doesn't interest me that much. Yeah. You just got to, you know, I don't know. Manifest be, destiny, bro. Be humble. Imagine if you were the 21-year-old the hotshot and you had some guy doing that to you. Right. You know, just it's the circle of life, man. Yep. It sucks, but one day, Skin, there will be people – that make a better podcast than us. No way. And oh, at, you're right. At you're that right. point, we will have to keep making podcasts. That's right. Hour, they're going to become two hour long at that point. And we'll be, God, we'll be, it'll just be constant. We'll be just, you know, downloading for a day for people. Um, I will say this. When there is a podcast better than this, it'll be transmitting live from Mars. I mean, it absolutely. Oh, wow. Yes, 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 yes. The, the, the Mars Mavericks. The Mars after, uh, after Luca and Dennis have uh, taken their talents to the fourth planet. Yeah, to let's the colonize. Red planet. Let's yeah. do this. Uh, okay, it is numbers on the boards. Uh, Mavs versus Jazz tonight. They actually decided to give the Jazz, or give the Nuggets a break. They'd played the Nuggets two years in a row on Seas for Soldiers night and had uh, absolutely throttled them both times. So they said, you know what, Denver, you stay home. We'll yeah. bring in Utah to respect the troops tonight. And uh, so we'll see. Maybe they can get another win. I forget what their record is on Seas for Soldiers Night, but it is pretty extraordinary. So hopefully we're in for a Mavs dub tonight. Uh, you're not. You can't see it right now, but I'm doing the Jameis Winston. Oh, don't do that. That no. ruined Jameis's career. Don't, don't it do all it. went downhill after oh, okay. that. All right. Well, yeah. I will not eat a W then. I will. Uh, <laughs> I will just. Wa- I'll, I'll look at the W. Um, skin parting words parting words anything uh i fully anticipate that this mini defensive renaissance will continue in increments uh because that is the key to the mavericks getting better and i think they'll realize it and i think they're all committed to trying to do it we said a few weeks ago it's a week by week thing yep and that was the development this week see if they can make it two in a row right on. well three wins in a row but two weeks in a row yep you know what i mean absolutely all right numbers on the boards mavs i'm bobby he's skin bye, bye.